Hello, and welcome to Tapped In. I'm your host, Dave Morales, and this podcast is an extension of the Bellingham Tap Trail, where we hang out and chat with people involved in the local brewing scene. I'm taking care of some long overdue business today by sitting down with Michael Toombs, head of operations at Chuckanut Brewery. We talk about computers being a gateway into professional brewing, Sharon discuss exciting new offerings at the Nuts, and don our dork capes as we dive into the rabbit hole of water chemistry. Today's Tapped In Conversation is sponsored by Puget Sound Energy's Green Power Program. Green power is renewable power made from resources that are naturally replenishing. Doing your part to reduce carbon is easy. In fact, solar panels provide the electricity used to produce this podcast. Learn how you can support green energy made right here in the Northwest at pse.com slash green power. All one word. Well, all right. We kept this one loose and had a lot of fun. One quick note, I was going to release this in December originally, and we talk about that at some point, so no, we're not crazy. People. Michael Toombs. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking time out. I know that... Uh... I say this every time, but I know you're super busy because all brewers, especially these days in this town, are super busy. Yep. We should say that you're Michael Toombs mm-hmm. from Chuckanut Brewery, uh, both here in Bellingham and down in Mount Vernon, or is it Burlington? Burlington, Burlington, technically. Burlington, yeah. technically. Yeah. We'll just say Mount Vernon. We'll just say Skagit. Yeah. It's out in the middle of nowhere, but yeah, it's Burlington. <laughs> yeah. I have yet to, to get down there. There's many things that I need to get down there for, so yep. I am remiss in my... Uh, beer drinking and beer dorking duties. Um, <laughs> but you're the head of brewing operations. Um, and so you are technically in charge of both the North and South Nuts. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I, I try to split my time at both facilities pretty equally. Yeah. Um, yeah, just do all the scheduling, make sure everybody needs is where they need to be at all times, you know, yeah. all the grain and hop ordering, all that good stuff. So just making sure everything's set Right. So it goes smoothly. Right. Are you yeah. on the brew deck much or are you more like administration? More administration these days. I, I yeah. brewed for, I guess, the first five or six years. And then the last couple, I haven't brewed as much. I, I, I basically fill in whenever somebody's out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and you've been there since 2012. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. 2012. Okay. This yeah. being, what is this, November of 2019? So. Yeah. So almost seven and a half years, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And what's, uh, how did you come to be at Chuckanut? Like what's your brewing background? <sighs> I don't have much of a background before this. Um, I homebrewed for, I guess, two to three years prior to getting this job. Um, I, uh, I had quit my previous job in engineering cause I was tired of sitting behind a, a desk and a cubicle. Mm-hmm. And this is a, kind of a co- common story. I feel like with sure. a lot of brewers, yeah. And then I started just applying for brewing jobs all over the country. Um, and I just happened to get a call back from Will. Yeah. Um, that was the first brewery that contacted me back. And where were you coming from? I was coming from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah little, I grew up, grew up in North Carolina. Yeah. Yep. Um, went to NC State. So I got my engineering degree in computer and electrical engineering. And that was probably more to do with what I actually why I actually got the job at Chuckanut. Right. Not my brewing background. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I know. Uh, it's funny. Um, yeah, because Will is uh, very detail-oriented, Yes, shall we say, and uh, and technologically savvy and, and very exacting. Yes. Um, you know, he it fully embraces 
the belief that technology can help to make outstanding beer. You know, there's still an artistry to it and yep. there's still the know-how and the knowledge that you need to have, but technology is your friend. And being a computer engineer yourself, it seems like yeah, I was actually thinking like yeah. you're the perfect fit to work with Will. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious as to, because I saw that you had an audiovisual emphasis, which as an RTF guy, yeah, I can, yeah. I can uh, appreciate that. How do you think that that background really prepared you for this job in particular? Yeah. So I worked at a audiovisual engineering company, um, do, doing setups for like auditoriums or big, uh, classrooms for schools, um, doing like pro projection systems, audio systems. But I think the big thing with that job that helped me was I was also setting up touch panels and, in these, uh, scenarios. And, uh, at Chuck Knight, we have a system, uh, it's Opto 22, but it's basically a touch panel. Well, we don't actually touch it. It's with a computer mouse and keyboard. But and by touch panel, you mean like, like your smartphone kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It. So all of like the majority of our valves are pneumatically controlled through the computer. Our pumps are on VFDs that are controlled through the computer. Um, and then I guess that was about all that was controlled when I first started at Chuckanut, but I've, I've definitely added some things since then. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, Pretty much the reason why I was hired was to help with the computer system that helps run the brewery. Yeah, yeah. And so the and so you said you'd been homebrewing for about two or three years at this mm. point. Like how? I mean, was it just kind of a hobby, or was it something that you were pretty passionate about? I guess so. If you were like applying to breweries. Yeah, around. at first it was a hobby, and I just I did a couple batches here and there. They were pretty bad. Um, <laughs> you know, the story with everybody. Everybody's got it. Um, but I started getting more and more serious. And, and when I left that engineering job is when I really started getting serious about it, especially since I didn't, at the time I didn't have a job. Right. So I had all this time to, to yeah, brew. can't afford to go drink beer every night. I'll yeah, just make it. <laughs> exactly. So I started getting more and more serious about it. But honestly, I mean, even my homebrew system was pretty still basic. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing brew in the bags. Yeah. Um, barely graduated from extract. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. But it was making still pretty decent beer by oh, the, yeah. by the end of it. Yeah, you can make good beer with extract, especially how fresh extract is these days. It's not the cans of John Bull that have been collecting oh, yeah. dust at a co-op for, or the Mister Beer kit that I got the first time oh, I tried to, Mr. which was beer. awful. Oh, I am, I do not doubt that for a moment. Yep. <laughs> um, so as as the head of brewer operations, I mean, obviously, Will has a lot of. I mean, because technically he's the head brewer, correct? Mm. I mean, he's got a lot of recipes that he brought that he already had. Into here. Yep. Are you involved with, um, like today you brought some of the newer beers, which we can mm -hmm. talk about. Um, are you, do you guys sit down and discuss new recipes or is it, does he more hand things off to you and... I mean, I guess walk walk us through the recipe formulation yeah. for, for new beers at, at Chuck and Ed. Um, all the very traditional stuff like our Pilsner or Kolsch or Vienna, that stuff has to run through Will, and he has he ultimately is the one that has final say on that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I don't get to I suggest tweaks, but he's ultimately the one that's sure. making some the decisions yeah. with that. Um, but there's a other another spectrum like Chuck Light, like that we're drinking today, where. Um, this is more my recipe. Um, it's delicious, by the way. I appreciate that. So uh, some of the newer stuff that isn't as traditional, I, I've gotten my hands on. Plus, we do have a 
pretty bigger team now, and I'm starting to push some of that recipe development off to some of my our more senior brewers as mm-hmm. well. Um, so it's a team effort, um, whether it's one of our original recipes or something new. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, considering how heavily you lean towards German lagers, is there, you know, is there an outlet to just you know, totally get your yayas out? Well, we have to, what I try to always do, especially with our team that, you know, we're not a IPA brewery at all. Right. In fact, right now at our tap room, we don't even have an IPA on tap, which... Yeah, we've had the British IPA, I remember. Yeah, something yeah. That, yeah. But we're actually testing out not having that on tap and seeing what the public actually thinks. Yeah. Some of the newer recipes that we're coming out with, we're trying to do newer techniques that fit into a lager format or that fit our our style of, of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, what just took over the IPA is our Citra Leaf Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Um so that's a new recipe where I, I mean, it's really simple. We just took our old Pilsner recipe and then took all the finishing hops out, all the German finishing hops, and then put in, um, they're not the regular citra hops. They're actually what YCH calls American Noble Citra. I just saw those where it's like, they're essentially debittered. <clears throat> yes. So you're they just are getting the, all the flavor. They are the byproduct of the cryo hops okay. that they make, oh. but it still has a really nice flavor to it. And actually I think it works really well in a lager. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying that out as the IPA replacement. Plus we have a single hop um, lager on tap too. So mm-hmm. we got two hoppy options. Right. It doesn't say IPA, yeah. but it is the chuckanut way of doing a hoppy beer, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 40 IBUs instead. Yeah, exactly. Instead of 25. <laughs> or Not over the top. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Balanced. That's, yes. that's what I <clears throat> appreciate so much about it. Yep. Um, so with the, with the staples, you know, the Kolsch, obviously, which mm-hmm. is, which is what I would, I mean, arguably more than anything you're known for. Do those get tweaked a lot? I mean, is it a constant work of work in progress? Yeah, it definitely is. I'd actually be interested to go back and see what it looks like. I, I have time to time, look at the, some of the older recipes, but yeah, it's a constant tweaking, tweaking, mm-hmm. um, I mean, even just to, to as pertaining to like percentages of grain or just like, oh, we'll just tweak the pH a little bit. And Yeah. I mean, for instance, on the coal, some of the recent tweaks are, I think we lowered the weed a couple of years ago, the amount of wheat, which is, it's not that much to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, more, three percent. Yeah. And then more recently, we were having trouble with our filtration on our coal. So we've actually, we worked on our, the water chemistry a little bit more to make sure our, our salts were in line. Mm-hmm. So we could get the proper flocculation um, on our Kolsch. Um, Kolsch yeast is notorious for being non-flocculent anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you don't give it the right, um, the right situation, the right, the right yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not going to flock at all. Yeah. Um, so there's like small things like that, and we're always trying to improve. I mean, if if you think you have a perfect recipe, you're probably doing it yeah. wrong. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing things. Doing things second nature. Can, can be a death knell at, yeah. at a certain point because you stop paying attention and stop innovating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you guys have a, um, a proprietary coal yeast that Will brought back, correct? Yes, that's correct. And we should also say for anyone who doesn't know who Will, the Will that we're talking about is, this is Will Kemper. Yes. Uh, half of Thomas and Kemper yep. uh, from eons ago. Uh, beer royalty. Yeah, to, I like to, to say put it he, mildly. They yeah. started Thomas Kemper, I think, 
uh, maybe like a half year before I was born. <laughs> so um, it's nice to have somebody that has 30, I don't know, yeah, 35 years of experience. That's how old I am. So yeah, yeah about 35, 36 years of experience yeah. to always go to if I need to, I need any help. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fountain of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to make sure that for anybody listening and wherever that yeah, has Thomas, no idea. Thomas Kemper. And then he went on to do a lot of consulting projects. A lot of consulting. Uh, throughout the U.S. Uh, and then around the world as well. Japan, right? He did a lot of, uh, not Japan. Uh, no. Istanbul, Turkey, uh, Mexico. I'm trying to remember if there's any others. There probably was. But yeah, yeah sure. Those are the two big ones. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. A lot of... I would imagine the majority of homebrewers probably concentrate on ales, you know, mm-hmm. porter stouts, IPAs, probably more than anything else, uh, English ales and stuff like that. But let's talk about some of the particular challenges that you face when you're dealing with brewing light lagers, or even in the case of Kolsch, which is technically an ale, but you're still kind of treating it like a lager. Yeah. And we'll get into Kolsch more into detail in a little bit, but... Yeah. But what are, as a brewer, some of the, just, just, I guess, rattle off some of the challenges that are particular, especially on a, an industrial scale um, of brewing the light lagers and having them come out clean. And, yeah, yeah I, I think the biggest thing for lagers is making sure you have everything right for fermentation. Um, you know, as brewers, I mean, people say brewers are, brewers don't brew the beer, we brew wort. Uh, the, the yeast does all the work. Um, and in this case, we have to be spot on with lagers, especially something like Chuck Light, which is 4%. It doesn't have anything to hide behind. Right. Um, so just making sure fermentation is, well, f- especially with lager, fermentation is relatively slow. You don't want to go too fast because then you'll, you'll start getting some ester formation or some things that'll make it taste more ale-like. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big thing. And then we use a uh, 3470, Vine Stefan 3470, which is the most commonly used lager strain in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a workhorse. Uh, it generally cleans up diacetyl really well, which is great because, again, you don't have anything to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Diacetyl is huge. Um, and then other things like DMS, um, you got to make sure you're getting a great boil. Drive off any DMS because that'll be apparent as well. Do you do a 90-minute boil or 60? Uh, most of our boils... Well, I guess on the on the really light end, we do do sixty minute boils on some of our really light beers just mm-hmm. to keep the color, mm-hmm. retain the color. But we have to be on top of that. Like, we have to have a nice simmer through uh, loudering. Um, I guess the precursor to DMS starts to break down at one eighty. Mm-hmm. So making sure the wort coming into your kettle as you're loudering is above one eighty to mm-hmm. start driving off DMS is really important. Um, yeah, I mean, we just try to make everything as clean as possible. Right. Um, again, with fermentation, just low and slow is, is the name of the game. Not getting too high, especially at the very beginning, because, again, aster formation mm-hmm. is a bad thing. And then another another thing with bloggers is uh, sulfur. Um, I personally like a little bit of sulfur in a lager. I think it's it's needed. It gives another dimension to the beer. Yeah, but you also don't want to overdo it. Right. Um, yeah. It should be a nice little <clears throat> afterthought in a, in a nice Pilsner. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but those are some of the bigger, bigger things. So considering that Kolsch is kind of chucking nuts bread and butter, let's just, let's talk mm-hmm. specifically about that. I'm a huge lover of Kolsch. Mm-hmm. I 
brew a fair amount of Kolsch. Um, nice. And uh, just in, in May, uh, I went over to Cologne to, to drink Kolsch. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, Belgium too and other places. But but I was really excited about going to Cologne because I'd never been. And, uh, and it was fun to drink those beers and think about your Kolsch mm. and my Kolsch and just how... You know, like, okay, where is everybody yep. on this spectrum? And there um, is a spectrum. There, there is a spectrum. Yeah, yep. uh, Kolsch isn't just just a straight up Kolsch. They're mm-hmm. they're um, they're different. Um, and one thing that I've read about with with brewing Kolsches is, and even even Pilsners is the argument of mashes. You know, like decoction mash versus a step mash. And if you're doing a step mash. How many steps do you do? Do you go yep. super low, like 122 or even like 113 or 14 and do a protein rest and then and then bump up? Or, you know, with, with today's modified malts, yeah. you, know, you can get away with doing a single infusion mash at 147 or 8. Yep. Uh, and it should be fine. As someone who does this every day, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we do mostly step mashes on all of our beers. Um, and I, I like that because we're, we're trying to hit the – we have a basically a beta rest and an alpha rest. We don't, we don't have to do anything with a protein rest or acid rest. Yeah, I think that's kind um, of a thing of the past. Yeah, it, it really is. So I mean, we, have, we have a sigillated malt from Environment that we're using. We're actually playing around with lactic acid right now too just to get the pH exactly where we want it. Like mm-hmm. I was saying before, we've been messing around with going, doing like a deep dive on water chemistry lately mm-hmm. too. Um, but also just with the Vireman malt, you don't really need to do a protein rest either. It's, yeah. it's modified well enough. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we just do a, a beta rest and an alpha rest, try to hit that, the, the ends of your uh, mashing windows. Mm-hmm. And that way you get um, your fermentability and your uh, uh, extract. Yeah. that you need. And that seems to work really well for us. And I think it's what probably a decent amount of German brewers are doing now. I know there's still a lot of, tradi- there's some traditional ones out there still yeah. doing decoctions. Right. Um, our brew house actually isn't set up to do decoctions very well. It's tough. So um, we can't move back from the kettle. I, I have done a decoction at a brewery before, but it was only a single um, because we have steam jackets under mash mixer. <clears throat> we can do a single decoction to mash out. Mm-hmm. But that's all we can do. We can't do double or triple decoction. Yeah. So we're not even capable of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I don't even know if I would want to. I mean, yeah. there's there's some good things that go along with it, but I think your average drinker, even your average enthusiast, you know, who really knows isn't going to be able to tell the difference. Yeah, it's tough to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it's it's great to say that that you did that. Um Concerning water chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, it's been something that that I've been taking a deep dive on in the last like five or six years as mm-hmm. well. Oh, I guess more like seven or eight. But one thing that I read that was interesting about Kolsch's in particular is the bicarbonate level and how a lot of the water in that region is high in bicarbonate, but they neutralize it with. Uh, with acid, either with acidulated malt, mm-hmm. um, or even more commonly with with lactic acid, and uh, and so I tried that in my last in my last one, and I did find that it it made a difference. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it was something that I'd never really I'd never really thought about neutralizing you know, a particular a particular deal in that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how do you find the the local water here? And of course, I'm sure that you know it's filtered and everything. Yeah. But I mean, as a starting base for for brewers that that live here in the Bellingham area, how do you find the water locally as a starting point for for brewing some of those lighter beers? It's actually fantastic because yeah. we live in a place where the water is really soft. Yeah. Um, so you got a great starting point for pretty much any style you want to do. Yeah, low mineralization. Um, yeah. It works particularly well for any of our German styles that are brewed in, out of Bavaria. We we live in a. It's actually a very similar place um, to Munich. Um, we're close in latitude. We there's both mountains in both locations, so there's. There's a lot of similarities actually, um, mm-hmm. which makes it easy for us. Mm-hmm. We have to, we're only adding a, a minimum of like chloride and sulfate to hit our, uh, the salt levels we want. I, I will say that we're, we are thinking about our philosophy with water chemistry and whether we should be trying to nail what a particular style is in that place mm-hmm. or if we should be doing what's best for the beer. Right. Because there is a they can, there can be a difference. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we're people trying get obsessed about like I need Pilsen water for that. I need the. It's yeah. like well, they're not using just that water. Yeah. You know, if if anything, you should definitely be using like the boiled version. You know, of that if you're using water you know, yep. chemistry software. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, and we're probably going trying to hit somewhere in between. But I mean, we want to make the. The, the thing is that we're trying to make the best beer as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's where we're shooting for. Yeah. Um, so with something like the Kolsch, we're actually trying to keep the minerality to a pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, we want the, the malt and hops to shine through and not have the minerality get in the way of things, especially mm-hmm. on a light beer. Yeah. Again, with light beers, it, every little thing... Yeah, uh, it makes a difference. Yeah, <clears throat> calcium and sulfate probably the biggest things. You know, sulfate being mm-hmm. what makes that dry pop. Yep. And then uh, calcium, it's important for yeast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I was saying before, we were having issues with because our calcium levels were a little low, yeah. and yeah, Kolsch doesn't need any help fl- uh, not flocking. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just use. I mean, just because I do it on a home level, um, I just use the dry um, Safale K97. Yeah. Works works well enough for me. Um, yeah. So recently uh, you guys went down and did uh, a collaboration with Breakside mm-hmm. um, where you did kind of this Hellas Ice Bach uh, combo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's a big beer. Yep. And, uh, and it's going to take time to become what it was envisioned as. Yes. Uh, it so it's not even due for release until like what November of 2020 yeah, it's like going to be another year probably yeah. and we brewed that oh it's been three months now yeah you know, or something like that yeah. two or three months ago yeah, yeah talk a bit about that like how that came about and what the vision was yeah collabs are funny because you just start getting talking with another brewer and then ideas come up I think I was actually down at Greens or Raft doing a collab with them and Ben from Breakside just happened to be at our event and we got talking about it there I think um, but that beer is, it's bigger than anything we would probably do at Chuck and I, and it <laughs> right. involves barrels. So not something we'd probably do at Chuck and I. Right. <laughs> so, and we've been, uh, getting a Maybach recipe down, uh, the last couple of years. And this year I thought ours was pretty close to where we want it to be. Of course, there's always tweaking like we sure. were talking about earlier. 
It's like um, a song. It's never done. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Brace had never done a, a Hellas or my box. So okay. kind of took our recipe and then they're going to take it and do some things we've never done with. So mm-hmm. they're going to freeze it. Um, yeah, because an Eisbach, the whole deal is yeah. it's E-I-S-Bach. Which it's is ice in German. It's not yep. um, But the deal is, is you, uh, kind of the same way that you can make like Applejack or something, mm-hmm. you, you take something that's alcoholic and you freeze it, and then yep. that takes the water and you remove that ice, and it just leaves you with a stronger product. Yeah, which is something they may or may have not done in the past. They have experience <laughs> with it. Um and then also, so yeah, they're going to freeze it, which I need to actually get up with Ben again, because I think they've mm-hmm. done that by now. Mm-hmm. They've actually, I, they, I think they've frozen it by now. And then that's going to get transferred into uh, white wine barrels. Um, and then after the white, it's set in there for, I think, probably close to a year, mm-hmm. it's going to be re-fermented on Riesling grapes, just to keep the German theme throughout it. Nice. Um, so it, it's hopefully going to be kind of like an ice wine is kind of the idea is uh, ice wine and beer form. Yeah. And is it going to be <clears throat> bottled? Yes. And I'm not sure about that. I know Ben was talking about at one point actually getting ice wine bottles to put it in. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be bottled. Um, and then we should get some up here, mm-hmm. obviously, whenever that comes out. And so is <clears throat> it going to be still? No, it's not. It, no, it'll okay. be carbonated, yeah, but okay. um, yeah, I, I think we're still trying to hit traditional uh, carb for, uh, my Right. So yeah, it'll still be, what's, still be carbonated. what's the, uh, what's the ABV anticipated to be? <laughs> well, we'll see after all, all the steps to go through, but it's probably going to be close to 12% or so, wow. which, you know, Chuck and I, we've never even, I think right. the highest beer we've gone is close to 8%. So oh, wow. Which we, one we is have, that? I don't even... uh, our Baltic that we do every oh, year is, okay, is close right, to 8%, right, right. but yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of maxing out our system. I mean, our, our system is made to make 5% lager. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you want to take a quick break? Yeah, yeah. Uh, refresh refill. our beers and uh, yeah, yeah. and do all that stuff. Sounds good. Let's, uh, pay some bills, and um, we'll be right back. Skagit Valley Malting is an independent local craft malt house dedicated to sustainable farming practices and the use of superior maritime grains. Imported and commodity malts make a lot of beer, but craft malt makes craft beer. Using their patented technology, Skagit offers breweries a diverse variety of customizable malts that offer distinction in a crowded marketplace. So why import? They can provide what you're looking for right here, together. All right, we're back. <laughs> Thank, thank you, Skagit Valley Malting, who is a, uh, a sponsor of this and uh, whose greens I use. So, so you, you said you were, you were 35. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you remember the first beer that, that you ever had? Yes, I do. I don't remember what age I was. I was. It was definitely before ten, maybe like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, my dad let me have some of his Bush Light, which I definitely thought. <laughs> you was gotta the... love the South. My dad used to let me Not have really. beer too. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bush Light, from Texas. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was definitely disgusting. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess yeah, I didn't have another beer until sometime in high school. Mm-hmm. And most of the beer in high school, again, was mass-produced lager, sure, sure. PBR, or whatever light beer was at the party. I had no choice of yeah. what it, what was being consumed. <laughs> yeah, I distinctly remember me and my friends finding Michelob Classic Dark and thinking that we had it going on. We, That's a find, yeah. Yeah, that was a find. 
Yeah, we called them CDs before CDs were a thing. <laughs> classic dark ale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, classic dark ale. It, and I remember it being really good. I would be very interested to go back and try that and see how. Yeah, it's probably present, a lot different present, now than it was. Present, but, well, they don't make it anymore. No, they but, don't even um, make it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, otherwise I would I would get it. So so with uh when you were brewing, what 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 kind of beers were you focusing on? Like, were you already kind of German lager focused, or were you more just the traditional home brewer? Like, yeah. I'm making an IPA, pale ale, brown ale. Kind yeah, of I think my first beer I made, I think, was a pale <laughs> ale. Um, the first good beer I made was a saison. Because I had no temperature control, so that makes sense. <laughs> hey. Saison, yeah, doesn't mind if it's yeah, especially eighty North degrees Carolina. or whatever. Yeah, yeah in North Carolina. Um, but yeah, I was a, I was a typical iron brewer. I was making more hoppy beers, and mm-hmm. and at the time, that's what I was drinking most of. I remember going through college and started mostly through college. I was drinking, you know, PBR or Miller High Life or whatever that is, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started the hydrating um, beers. Started getting into like Yingling, and then Yingling actually has uh, they have a black and tan and a porter, and that kind of set me off going towards more craft craft beer. Okay. Actually, it was Yingling yeah. of all things all right. on the East Coast. Yeah, um, and then I started getting more into IPAs after that, and you know Sierra Pale and mm-hmm. all of that course. good stuff. Yeah, yeah. What What's your favorite beer to drink? Like if you're just hanging out. Um, I mean, working at Chuck Nut this long, I definitely mostly drink lighter beers. Mm-hmm. I, that four to, I guess, four to five and a half percent range is what I drink mostly. Mm-hmm. I mean, from Chuck Nut, I drink a lot of Pilsner, Kolsch, um, and some of the other stuff that we have rotating. Yeah. What do you think is a um, hidden gem at, uh, at Chuck Nut that people don't ooh, appreciate? That's that a good you're, question. That you or you and the other brewers are like, man. Uh, it's too bad people don't like this, but the means- style—the style we've been trying to nail lately—and we got a batch coming out soon—is Dortmunder. Okay, it's a style that honestly doesn't sell very well, but right. it's it's that sweet spot bef- between Hellas and Pilsner, mm-hmm. um, little higher ABB. The the minerality really comes through in that beer, um, and we've been trying to dial that beer in for the last two years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And this last batch is the closest we've gotten to feeling great about it. Okay. And like I said, it'll, it should be out in the next month. And okay. uh, I I'd hope people would try that. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll come down and try it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How often do you do your Rauk beer? Uh, actually, this year I was trying to do uh, a Rauk beer every quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to get one in by the end of the year, but we just put our Rauk Meritzen on tap. So that's, that's on okay. tap at both of our uh, breweries. Good that's know. the one we've been making the longest. Uh, but earlier this year, we made a Grodzinski for the first time, oh. which is a Polish smoked beer. Mm-hmm. It's 100% oak smoked wheat. Wow. Which was not fun to louder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. But Dang. that was interesting. Where did you get that malt? Um, Vireman makes, uh, makes oak smoked okay. wheat. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was just 100% Vireman oak smoked wheat. Wow. Um, and it's only like a 3.5% beer. They call it like Polish champagne, basically. Right. Yeah. It's one of those um, wiggle beers. You know, it's just meant to be drunk young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we also did a Ralph Ellis earlier this year. And then I was, if we can fit it in, I was hoping to do a dark, like a Schwartz, Ralph mm-hmm. Schwartz or something. Right. But we'll see if we have time. When you're when you're <clears throat> making your your uh, Hellas or your or your Meritzen, mm-hmm. are you just using the um, the Vireman Ralph malt? Yeah, yeah, we we generally just use the Beechwood smoked Beechwood, Ralph yeah, malt. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's appropriate for the Hellas and the Meritzen. Um, I got to go to Bomberg a couple of years ago with the Kempers, actually, and uh, we, I geeked out on. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, Schrenkel is not my favorite. It's uh, Spezial. Um, we actually stayed in the hotel above that brewery. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd say that one's way more drinkable than Trinkola. Trinkola yeah. is pretty over the top. It is very over the top. I mean, and, it's it's good, but I like yeah. I like yours better. And you know, ours so. is actually, I think Will previously had gone to Bomberg on a trip and modeled ours more off of a Special. Okay. And I might be pronouncing that completely wrong. I apologize, but um, no, it's it's lighter and a little lighter in the smoke and just much more drinkable. Mm-hmm. Which with a Rauch beer. You know, it's not the most drinkable style in the world. So if you can add some drinkability to that, and right, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of smoked. My wife is not. Um, <laughs> it's a love hate style, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, if it's not a proprietary secret, like, what do you use? Um, <clears throat> like, what kind of percentage are you putting into your a Hellas or or a Meritzen with your uh, smoked malt as opposed to? Just the straight Pilsner malt. Yeah. Um, and if you can't talk it, about it's, it, it's I don't think it's a secret. Um, and I don't know the exact percentages off the top of my head, but I think Just the, the Rock Meritson is closer to 60 to 70%, where the Hellas is like 20 to 30. Okay. Yeah. The Hellas is a, is a definitely a very drinkable beer mm-hmm. because you want it to still taste like a Hellas. Yeah. And you can't, you can very easily overpower that with a uh, smoke malt. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make one someday. Yeah. <laughs> going to do it. Uh, you know, we uh, just kind of circling back, just talking about, or I was at least thinking about yeasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we touched on the fact that you had a proprietary yeast uh, for the Kolsch that, that Will brought back. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that something that the origins of which you can talk about or is it, or is it not? I honestly don't know which brewery it's from. Um, I know he had gotten it from a, a lab in Cologne mm-hmm. and the Kempers may know which brewery it actually came from, but I, I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I will say from the other cultures I've tasted, it does. I, I feel like it has a slight difference. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to quantify. Probably has a house quality to it yeah, now as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's just... I feel like it acts pretty much like, from what I hear at least, because this is the only coal sheets I've I've actually used, and mm-hmm. I've u- used it for years now. But um, from what I've heard from other people, you know, it's like any other coal sheets where you want to ferment it at a lower temperature than you normally would with a nail, mm-hmm. and uh, and then try to lager it. Of course, the lagering helps because, again, like I had said before, it, it's not a flocculating yeast, right? Um, <clears throat> I think, and I think that's across the board with any yeah. coal sheets. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about the thirty-four seventy. Mm-hmm. It's thirty-four seventy. Yeah, right? thirty-four seventy. And that's that's the Weinstephan. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, I'm going to use for the first time tomorrow. I'm brewing that German pills, yep. and uh, I'm going to use the dry version. Oh, nice. Of that. Do you have uh, Do you have a guilty pleasure beer? You were talking about Yingling, um, but that's not necessarily a guilty pleasure. Is there just something, and it can be anything. Um, you know, I mean, al- alcoholic or not, really, oh, I guess. The, the answers I mean, have been all over the I don't feel guilty. I don't really feel too guilty about drinking mass-produced lager. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just this weekend, I bought a 12-pack of uh, Stubby Coors Banquets. Yeah. And those are excellent. They're, they're great. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, of course, working at a lager brewery, I don't really feel too bad about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like to have a gin and tonic every now and then. That's mm-hmm. definitely a, a big... 
uh, hit for me or just, or actually sparkling wine, like Prosecco or mm -hmm. champagne. I really like as well. Yeah. Yeah, I like bubbles. You just need to make a beer called bubbles. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, so uh, one thing that I read about you, because I did my due diligence, uh, <laughs> is uh, you're a disc golfer. Yes. And uh, you are ranked according to a site that, uh, that I just <laughs> randomly found in the yeah. amateur class as number Thirty-one thousand eight hundred ninety-one. Oh yeah, that was my PDGA number. <laughs> okay, is that uh, what it was? I didn't know if yeah. that was your rank or your number. <laughs> no, I, I haven't played as much lately. I, I do like to go over to Cornwall every now and then, and mm -hmm. and sometimes I play in the doubles tournaments that they have there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back when I lived in North Carolina, I used to play a lot of disc golf. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, um, I got invited to the U.S. Na uh, National Amateur Disc Golf Tournament in Michigan and went out to that. Nice. I think I. I came in like thirty. Where in Michigan was that? Do you, do you uh, it was uh, outside of uh, outside of Detroit, like in between Detroit and uh, okay. Because uh, my wife's from Traverse yeah. City, and so there's, oh, yeah, I there's think some, it was nearby there's some there. nice disc golf like Hickory yeah. Hills up there. Um, Actually, yeah, I think that was one of the ones that <laughs> we might have played. Yeah, um, they had they set up a special course on a toboggan run actually. Um, I think it was near Kensington, maybe. Is that mm. Ring a Barrel? Uh, there's probably a Kensington. Or Hudson Mills or something. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think I finished like 35th out of uh, 150 people or yeah. something. That's, that's US respectable. Yeah. yeah. So that's nice. <laughs> so when you are disc golfing, what is your beer of choice? Because, of course, you can't disc golf. Well, it's definitely got to be something in, in a can. <laughs> yeah. Which, unfortunately, we don't do yet. Yeah. But, yeah. But the options are far away. <clears throat> larger now than they yeah. used to be something easy drinking in a can yeah, yeah that's the way to go yeah i don't want to have to think about my beer while i'm disciplined right exactly golf. yeah <laughs> I was... seeing as you didn't homebrew all that long mm -hmm. what was the beer for you that you tried and you're like hmm i want to know how to do that what's that what's the beer that flipped the switch for you uh, shoot um I don't know if there was a specific beer. I mean, I could point to the obvious ones general. like Sierra Nevada Pale or another one of my favorites is Saison uh, DuPont. Like I said, mm. my first my first so beer good. that actually was decent was a Saison. I've always liked Saisons. Yeah, um, me too. But early on, yeah, it was it was hoppier beers than Saisons, I would say, were was what really got me going yeah. into homebrewing. Nice. Yeah. What... Um, Considering that that uh, that you guys do food, um, do you do food at South Nut as well? Uh, we have snacks, but it, it's more of just a it's tasting just a room. Tasting room. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> My apologies for not having been. Um, <laughs> but considering that uh, that there's food up here, what do you think are is is like your favorite food pairing with uh, with one of the beers that you make? Uh, I th I would have to say pilsner with oysters mm. or some kind of shellfish. I the okay. the bitiness of the bitterness of a pilsner goes really good with the brininess of a of a shellfish. Hmm. I think that would probably be my favorite pairing. Sulfate and chloride. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Nice. I want to definitely try this uh Oh, the citra leaf, yeah. The citra leaf. Um and if you don't want to chug that, we can <clears throat> dump it um or come back to it. Yeah. yeah. Is there a brewing hero or heroine that that uh, that you have, um, or even just like a favorite brewery? 
I mean, I'd say mentor-wise, uh, Will, obviously, but also Brian Cardwell. When I first started working at Chuck and I, I, I it was just me and Brian Cardwell. Mm-hmm. Um, he's at Freem now. I got hired after Kevin Davey left, who's at Wayfinder now. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's a good lineage of uh, brewers from Chuck and Nut making great beer other places, right. which is fantastic. But yeah, I, I learned it. I learned so much from Brian and Will, mm-hmm. especially like you're saying. I didn't have a, I did homebrew, but that was that was it. So I came in there pretty. You had the technical knowledge, so yeah. it all made sense. Yeah, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure, like the, the but I didn't nuts know. and bolts of of brewing. You're like, I get that. But the first I day, that. I didn't know how to use a tri clamp either. So. <laughs> That's an art, though. That's yes. an art to, to to flip that thing around and then to, to just do it in one in one fluid motion. It, yeah. it takes a while. So I mean, I've I've learned a lot over the seven and a half years I've been there, just going from an assistant brewer all the way to the the head of operations. Yeah. So it's been a journey. But yeah, and then I guess favorite brewery. Ooh. I mean, we talk about Sierra a lot. They're fantastic. I don't know. Right now, uh, every time I go to GABF, I'm going to Austin Beer Garden a mm. lot. Um, they're making killer lagers. Um, they didn't win this year, but the prior three years, they won small uh, brew pub of the year for three mm-hmm. straight years with just lagers. So uh, you being from North Carolina, where uh, it's kind of another beer explosion yeah, happening definitely. out there. The quality has gone up there, especially even more so since I left. But there's a lot of good breweries in North Carolina now. Yeah, I'm right. not exactly sure how that happened, but it just all of a sudden, it, it, yeah, there's a ton of good breweries there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really exciting. I <laughs> like the fact that you can go to Jerkwater USA yeah. today and <laughs> and probably get a good beer, whereas yeah. even just 10 or 15 years ago, that was not the Definitely case. Definitely not like, the case. <laughs> you had to be region-specific and yeah. probably city-specific. Yep. So what what's your take on the current state of the beer industry nationwide? We won't, I won't press you to go global, but, um, yeah. and where do you see it? What, what do you see the trends in five or 10 years? Well, like you're saying, it's definitely become more hyper-local. I don't, I don't think we're going to see as many regional breweries anymore. In fact, we're already seeing a lot of the regional breweries lose sales um, and some of them not doing so well anymore. Um, Mm So yeah, hyper local. More people just selling pints across the bar. It's where the profit margin yeah. is too. And yeah. I guess it, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting where you go to another town to try a certain brewery because you can't get it. And I think that's there's some romanticism about that, especially when you think about well, go back to Germany where everything is is local like that where you know cologne has yeah. a certain style yeah. and you go all. to that corner to yeah get and that. i'm not saying it's going to get to that point because i think the uh, you know us as americans just have to push the boundaries and try everything so i don't <laughs> think we're going to be like oh this city has this one style but it is going to be hyper local and you'll go to a place just to try a certain brewery mm-hmm. um and if you're not selling a ton of pints across the bar that could be a problem or if you're not a niche, either. shelf space is hard. <clears throat> yeah, you, I think you're going to have to be a niche that can spread out, or you're going to have to be a hyper local that that can do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want it, you come here. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, <clears throat> I was having this thought when we were talking about water chemistry earlier, and just how you modify the Bellingham water and how good it is. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be interesting if 
certain towns started getting known for their water, water profiles. Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised like, if why that not have a Seattle area. or a Bellingham water profile that people try to emulate. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it'll go to that extreme eventually. But yeah. right now, I know, I mean, people want to want options. Sure. And, so. and again, just because that's the water profile, that's just the starting point. Like every brewery modifies their water. So when you're chasing after that magical yeah. Pilsen water or magical Burton on Trent water. Yeah. Well, that's not the water that they're using. Yeah, like, exactly. They're modifying it. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. And especially in Belgium, um, I was really paying attention to water when we were over there. Mm-hmm. You know, Chimay, Rochefort, all those things. You know, they, I mean, the water over there is not very good. So, <laughs> and a lot of it is well stuff. So yeah. it's radically different you know, one month out of the year, every month out of the year, you know, they have to, they have to change it up. Heck, even, even with us, like, um, the water between here and Skagit isn't that much different, but it's enough different where we're having to do flavor match, like try to really flavor match between the two breweries. Interesting. Yeah. And, and honestly, Skagit's even softer than than up here so it's even more of a blank slate do you think it fluctuates more i I, we are finding that it's it's there's more fluctuation in schedule value than there is bellingham so that's a challenge that's a big challenge for us is try to figure out what that fluctuation is adjust on every beer that we brew and try to make sure the beers are tasting the same out of each brewery yeah it's been a big challenge i've just noticed recently uh in the last week or so just the water out of the tap here in town, uh, this being Sunnyland region of Bellingham for, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that all 15 people that are listening live are in or around <laughs> Bellingham. But, uh, I poured myself a glass of water the other day. I was like, Whoa, what? So much chlorine. And yeah. So much chlorine. And, uh, and Steph looked it up and asked the, you know, the internet about it. And, uh, and I guess after big rains, which we had a pretty pretty good storm yeah. a few weeks ago, um, you know everything gets all wonky. So they just add a bunch of chlorine <clears throat> to yeah. the water. And I'm brewing tomorrow, so I mean I filter my water. <laughs> yeah, that's an important thing in this town too. Even even though we have great water, it's it's good to filter. Oh, yeah. uh, to you get that chlorine in your water. Yeah, always filter your water, yeah. kitties. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm just going. I mean, I sent my water off to to ward labs. And so I just kind of use that as a baseline and I understand that it changes, yep. but for my needs, it's a good baseline yep. and it works, you know, as long as I hit my pHs, I'm definitely, I'm but we're dorking out. Um, <laughs> so, um, do you have, uh, do you have a favorite grain that you use? Like, is there oh, like this one where you're like, Oh my God, if this grain were to go away, I would just, oh, shoot. I mean, vitamin pills. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, is, is your workhorse, but that's uh, what we use all the time, which I, I love that malt. Um, um, we've started using a little bit more Barca, the Barca variations of Pilsner, Vienna, and Munich it, uh, from Vireman. Uh, it's, it's a slightly different, I think it's a different variety of malt. Uh, it gives more of a aroma and flavor than their normal stuff does. Hmm. So that stuff's very interesting. But yeah, I mean, if I was, Press to say, I'd say base malt is just Vireman Pilsner. Yeah. And then, I don't know, specialty-wise, I don't know, one of my favorite caramel malt is actually Patagonia Especial. That's been in our Dunkel for years now, and it I think it makes a big difference. Yeah. I love that malt. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I haven't really played around with Patagonia malts. Yeah. Um, 
And so obviously you have the proprietary cold yeast and you mm. use the 3470, but is there, is there a favorite yeast that you have? <laughs> I mean, that's, I would probably have to say 3470. Um, yeah. the cold yeast can be so, it can be stubborn. Yeah. So it can be a pain sometimes, but yeah, 3470 is just such a great lager yeast. I think the only thing, sometimes it struggles with higher alcohol, but that's like the mm-hmm. only thing. I mean, it makes 5% lager so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. It's, it's just a great lager yeast. So nice. Yep. Uh, well, before we, uh, I'm going to ask you what your favorite hop is and the answer doesn't have to be oh, yeah. Citra, but, um, but let's try this. Uh, so this being, um, well, this, Here. I guess this will come out in December. So just a little bit before, uh, maybe 10 days before Christmas. Um, so this uh, probably, well, do you think it'll still be on? I, I hope so. We're, we are, I have another batch in the tank and we are going to try to start making it more, um, especially if we're not going to have a British IPA on tap. Uh-huh. So hopefully it'll be on tap in December. I can't oh. promise that, but. Okay. Well, hopefully this is on. And if not, then <laughs> sorry, <No>. suckers. <laughs> um, so, so what is this beer that we're trying, which uh, is a beautiful golden color, crystal yeah. clear. Cheers. This is our. Uh, Thanks for bringing it. Yeah, no problem. It, it's our Citra Leaf Pilsner. Um, it's, we basically took our regular Pilsner recipe. Um, and then took out all the finishing hops that we normally do, like our the tat and saws that we usually nor- normally use in our pilsner, and instead use the American Noble Citra that uh, Yakima Chief hops uh, now has. It the American Noble hops are the byproduct of cryo, so the cryo hops get the majority of the lup- lupulin glands and the oils. Yeah, they're like oh. crazy alpha acid, <clears throat> like where you have like laurel hops are like. 24% yeah. alpha acid. Yeah, exactly. So this stuff is actually, I think, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was like 2.5 alpha mm-hmm. or something crazy for yeah. Citra, you know, it's crazy low. Mm-hmm. But it, it works really well in a lager. Um, so like, you know, we're using this late, it's all all that late and it's a decent mm-hmm. amount too. So, and, and so just one further um, delineation on those is, is they're debittered essentially. Yes. So that 2.5 alpha acid for those non-brewers is very roughly translatable into how bitter a particular hop is. So your average hop is going to be anywhere from six to maybe 12 or 13%. The cryo hops are freeze dried. So kind of like an ice box situation kind of, kind of thing. It makes them very strong. And then, so the byproduct of this is these hops, which is very, very low, where you get all the flavor, but not the bittering. So yeah, it's, it's less finishing. oil, less alpha. It's more of the, the leafy matter. Um, but, I mean, you still get some of that citra uh, characteristics. Like, I, I, with this, I get, like, a little bit of lychee, mm-hmm. um, maybe even water watermelon brine. It, it's really interesting, but I think it works really well in a lager. And I think having the still having the noble bitterness back it up uh it still retains that lager characteristic that's the one thing a little bit of that sulfury note yeah exactly we've been with our we've been playing around with hops and our lagers and the one thing i've been trying to stress is it still needs to taste like a lager Mm -hmm. and if you over dry hop a lager or if you just add too much hops you're, you're not going to have any lager characteristics. It's just yeah. going to taste like hops or an ale or something. So. And don't they have the India pale lager 
Mm -hmm. Is that an actual category yet? It, it was at GABF this year. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Was, that's a whole thing. Yeah. They they mix IPL thing. and malt liquor into a category, which oh. I thought was just ridiculous. <laughs> well, that just shows probably that those shouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. My two cents. Um, so <clears throat> so uh, with this, which hopefully everybody gets to try this, and if not, you know, you'll probably make other iterations of yeah. it. So be on the lookout for it. Yep. Um. Do you have a favorite hop? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, going back to German noble stuff, um, I probably have to say Tatnanger is probably my favorite. Mm -hmm. Pretty closely followed by Saz. Yeah. They're very similar hops. Um, they're just like the really classic German noble where you get a nice spicy, um, slightly grassy, um, slightly floral, um, just a well-rounded noble hop. Yeah. 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 I like the spicy hops. How do you feel, just personally, that um, that like a sterling kind of compares to a Saz or something? Yeah, like that? I, I haven't used too much sterling in my career, but it, it is, for an American hop, I'd say sterling is one of the better yeah. ones. You know, sterling, like Willamette. Um, shoot, there's some more that are mm -hmm. good U.S. wise that you can yeah. get that it can. They emulate German hops. They're not. It's not exactly mm -hmm. the same thing, but um, Mount they do Hood a pretty good was job. kind of an early yeah, adopter of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember early boundary days. It was all pearly and uh, German pearly and uh, and Mount Hood. Yep, yeah. a lot of a lot of the things. This is one of my favorite questions. Yeah, <laughs> tell us something that we don't know, and it can be about you, or it can be anything. Let's see. I have listened to a few of these, so I knew this question was coming. <laughs> I was going to bring up the disc, disc golf thing, but you already brought it up. I, so. I know. I thought about leaving that out for this, but I was yeah. like, nope, I'm going to make them work for it. Uh, I mean, most of my friends know this, and I was talking to you about this off air, but I, I own goats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... that's. And, and what kind of goats again? Yeah, I have a... There are two females. One's a boar, which is a meat goat, and then one's a mini Nubian which uh, you think many and you think of something small, but it's, it's still really large. <laughs> which means a regular Nubian is giant. Yeah. A regular Nubian is almost a horse. So. <laughs> uh, but we, yeah, we got those to help us clear out our blackberry on our property and they're a handful. They are constantly finding new ways to escape mm -hmm. um, and try to run off. But you know, they only run as far as the food. Once they find a new patch of grass, they're just happy right. with that. Well, as long as you just keep your blackberry patch going, they yeah, exactly. should be happy, right? Exactly. <laughs> and it's even sweet part of the year. So yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> um, well, thanks again for, for coming yeah. and, uh, and taking the time out. Is there, um, what advice do you have for somebody that's listening to this that aspires to be in a position where you are right now? Uh, I mean, I guess I'll say, I mean, the first thing is work ethic, especially in a brewery. Um, if you're a hard worker, you're always going to find a spot. But also the other thing is if you have a skill that you might not think is what is needed in a brewery, it might not, it might be exactly what's needed in a brewery. Like I was a computer engineer and that's how I got in. But if you're, if you know how to weld or if you know how to, I don't know if you have a biology degree or engineering degree or anything like that, that could be your in to get into a brewery and you could be very valuable for a brewery out yeah. there. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, agreed. I think there's a lot of skills that translate like 
if you can break down a pump and put it back together. I did that in today. A time. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> that's how I spent my morning. Oh, and that's the thing about yeah. a brewery. It's, it's, it's hard. a factory. It's hard work and you're going to get dirty. And I mean, you're pretty much a glorified janitor half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Bill Jenkins used to say, uh, from, uh, he's brewed all over in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, if you ain't wet, you ain't working. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Again, going to skills that translate, I, um, 11 years ago before I started working in Amtrak applied at Cherry Point, you know, the, mm-hmm. the um, oil processing uh, refinery refinery. Yeah. And uh, the practical part of that was a piece of cake. Yeah. It was basically moving things around from tank to tank, using pumps, using butterfly valves yeah. and, and watching volumes. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. And so this before. nailed that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, even, and then I was going to become a wastewater operator. Yep. I mean, Same thing. It's just brewing with shit. You know, <laughs> you just add enzymes to it and break it down. Yeah, and exactly. Like, yeah. You know, same stuff. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> That's right. Uh, is there anything that I missed that you want to add? Uh I just say, come try some of our newer beers like Chuck Light and Citroen. Yeah, which yeah I, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about this for a minute. So this yeah. is really nice. So it, it's definitely got the look of a Pilsner. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's beautifully yellow, golden. I'm bad with colors. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it definitely has that Citra note to it, but yes. it's all in like the back of the. Yeah. The it's not over the, the top flavor. again. And then also, I mean, come check out South Nut. The other thing about South Nut is um, we're in the Port of Skagit. <clears throat> um, uh, Garden Path, who we brew wort for, actually. It, oh, really? Yeah. They don't have a brew house, so we brew their wort, and then they they just drive off with it. Yeah, Ron's somebody that I need to get in here. Go, especially check, them, so, go check them out. They're right down the street. I have not been street. down there. Yeah. I know. I need to get down there. They're making it's great ridiculous. wild beer, um, mm-hmm. all Washington wild beer. Um you know, the, the brewing college is right next door. And so is Skagit Valley malting. So it's a nice little brewing hub and, yeah. uh, in the port of Skagit. So yeah, come check us out there too. Yeah. Funny story. When, uh, when we were in, we were staying at Pilpering mm-hmm. and, uh, Justin Smith and I hopped yeah. on bikes. Well, Steph biked down as far as, um, St. Bernardus. Yeah. And, uh, and then she turned back and Justin and I rode another, hour and a half <laughs> on our bikes crossing two major highways <laughs> <laughs> to go to uh, my French is not very good theory you okay which is uh for um i'm not going to remember the name of the brewery um yeah. but uh the one that that originated with the the originated <clears throat> <laughs> The brewery that originated the French Saison yeast. Okay, yeah. And so we go in, you know, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon at this point. We'd been to St. Bernardus, so, you know, we're, we're doing all right. And uh, lovely French couple gave us the tour. We're like, is your, is your brewer around? Yeah. And they're like, no, no, he's, he's, he's out of, you know, he's not here. And so they give us the tour and we're talking and we're like, oh, you know, we're from you know, from visiting from the States, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we're you know, beer fans slash brewers, blah, 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 blah. And, 
And uh, as we talked over like an hour, two hours, she's like, oh, no, actually, you know, he's visiting the States. And we're like, oh, well, that's 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 cool. Yeah. And uh, she's like, yeah, you know, she's visiting or he's visiting um, Ron and Amber <laughs> from uh, from a brewery in, in oh, the States. Actually, I think I met this brewer. <laughs> I think I met him because they came by Southnet, actually. I think I met this guy. And I actually had one of their beers at, at Garden Path, and it was fantastic. It was delicious. Yeah, it was fantastic. Delicious. Yeah. I can't remember. It's like Thier... Thier... Thier you. Yeah, Thier you yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, T-H-I-R-I-E-A-E-U-X. Exactly. Yeah, and that might be there. Yeah, excellent beer. Yeah. And I was we were so excited, you know, that we, like, rode our bikes down there, you know, like, from Belgium to France. And... And uh, I was so excited to talk to him and just dork out about the yeast. And uh, but when she said, oh, "Yeah, he's visiting a friend in the states," I think Ron. That was what she said. She was like, "Ron." I was like, "Ron, Ron like Ron and Amber." She's like, "Yes." <laughs> and I was just like, "Is he in Mount Vernon, Washington State right now?" Yeah. She's like, "Yes." I was like, it's "Small it's world." Like, we live in Bellingham. We live in we live thirty minutes, minutes north, north there. Yeah. And so I come back and I'm telling Jorgensen this story. He's like, "Oh yeah, he came out. Like yeah, he was yeah. at our house and blah blah blah." <laughs> he was like, "What day was it?" And I told him. He's like, "Oh yeah, no, he was at our house yeah, that day." I'm like, pretty sure I met him too. He's <laughs> like, "Are you kidding me?" That's too funny. Yeah, small world. Great. Yeah, super small world. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks again yep. and cheers. Cheers. And, uh, yeah, so we can try the Saison. Yeah. <laughs> Which was made with that, with that yeast. Oh, yeast, yes. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, it's just the French Saison. Yeah. So I use dry yeast because it's easy, other than the Quebec yeast. Yeah, have nice. you, do you guys have any, I mean, you do mainly lagers. Have you experimented with that at all? Or? No, but I've had a couple of recently. Actually, and I'll, I'll uh, rep one of our other breweries in town. Uh, Wander came out with a Kavik IPA mm-hmm. uh, called Synthesizer. And, I, you know, I don't drink a ton of IPAs, but that was probably one of the best IPAs mm-hmm. I've had in a while. Yeah. And it was a Kavik IPA. Yeah, so you say Kavik as well. I'm always interested. I, I don't know how to say it. That's how Me I, neither. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was talking with Rob Sanner from uh, 122 West, and uh, he's big into it. And, uh, yeah, he says Kavik. Like, yeah, I, I honestly I say don't Kavik. know the proper I way. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know either. Um, but it's an amazing yeast. Yeah. Um, I made a Sierra Nevada clone mm-hmm. uh, for a co-op party with it. And, uh, you know, five days, it's, like, ready to drink. Yeah, it's, inter- it's very interesting yeast. You know, it's meant to go, like, 80 to 90. And, and it's still it's clean. Just, and it's still clean. It, it's a little <laughs> orangey. I, I'm using the Voss. And um, mm-hmm. it's still a little orangey. But um, the first beer that I made with it that I fermented low was an IPA, and I used kind of the, all those juicy hops. And yep. that was kind of also the beer where I was like, I don't like these hops, so <laughs> I'm just not going to brew this anymore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. and It's, it's the, the next coming kind yeah. of. And uh, for at least breweries, like my first thought was like, oh my God, breweries in the South, home brewers yeah. in the South, yeah. brewers in Mexico, yeah. uh, where you can't, you know, you can't rely on the energy to be running your glycol if you're even fortunate enough to, to have, have glycol. glycol. Yeah, exactly. Um, like this could be a good, good thing. Yeah, definitely. You know? Very interesting. Yeah, so. it's interesting. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what shakes out.
for but, sure. All right. Well, let's call it. All right. <laughs> we had beers to try. It was time. Michael and I had only briefly met before this, so it was really great to catch up and get to know him a little better. We are really spoiled to have Chuckanut in our humble little burg, so skedaddle on down there and get your lager on. Also, $2 Kolsch's on Tuesdays. I try and make it a couple times a month on those days because Kolsch, so maybe I'll see you there. Alright, I am not going to beg, although I am most certainly not too proud to beg, sweet darlings. So you should email me. Beers I should try? Brewing questions? Finally watching The Sopranos? Fashion tips? Reach me directly at dave at taptrail.com. You can do it. I believe in you. So I'm excited about all of these, but I'm really excited for next month. I have something special for the end of the year, and like Huey Lewis says, we're going to go back in time. And not only that, but it's the first twofer for Tapped In. So good. If you enjoy Tapped In, please take a moment to rate us with all the stars on your podcast service of choice, and be sure and subscribe so you don't miss the next riveting episode. It really does make a big difference. I will talk to you next month. Until then, cheerios. And milk go terribly with beer. <laughs> <laughs>